All right, well, thanks everybody for joining in to Theology with Friends. Um, I've been saying this a lot lately, but I have a new friend today, uh, Lisa Weaver Schwartz. Well done. We just talked about it, and you think I might have had it down, but I don't. Um, Great. Well, thank you for being here. I was telling uh, you before that I was in a sociology class, which I didn't really expect to be in because I'm more of a biblical studies person. So it was a little random, but it felt helpful because I like to keep all my theology and stuff um, very grounded in like what's really going on. And so it's, it was a really intriguing class, and we talked about race in church, and we talked about um, gender in church. And when we were thinking of main papers, I remembered that you had written a book with two actual case studies, if that's what you call it. And I wanted to write on women in seminary, and so that's how I got into your book. And for people who haven't seen it, this is it, Stained Glass Ceilings, How Evangelicals Do Gender and, uh, oh gosh, practice power. So, um, yeah, just thank you again for coming on. And, um, I'd like to really just start by, you know, why, why'd you do it? (laughs) Why'd you, uh, why'd you do it? And what did you do for people who haven't heard it? Yeah. 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 Thanks for asking. I think the the backstory to books is always, you know, they're always a product of of many stories and there, you know, there's many factors uh, that that went into this one. I think uh, so sociologically, I I was feeling a little unsatisfied with the literature around gender and what that looks like in religious spaces, um, largely because there wasn't that much. And and still, um, it's not a really well, well well-developed kind of uh, Mm -hmm. part of the sociology of religion. So there wasn't much there. And I also didn't feel like there was a lot that did the stuff that was there wasn't doing a lot to account for connections between culture and theology. Um, And so I am a sociologist, but I have also spent a lot of time in religious spaces, religious communities. um, And so I knew just from experience that that was a really important uh, connection. So I was curious about that. Um, And also, I mean, there's a personal element that that went into this book, too. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, in some ways just trying to make sense of, of my own experiences in those religious spaces and, and communities. I've been uh, really fortunate to have spent formative time in, in several uh, very different religious spaces, Christian communities. Um, and I'm grateful for all of them. But in all of them, I also took away some kind of bewildering experiences and some frustrating experiences that I'm, I'm still making sense out of, like, like so many of us. Um, and so I think, and part of me wishes that I could have put more of my own story and my own um, background in into this book. And I ended up deciding for for various reasons that this wasn't the time or, or place uh, to do that. But it's it's certainly a part of the backstory of how the book came about. It's also an important uh, reason that I, I ended up rewriting portions of the book, uh, the the portions about the egalitarian community. I rewrote I think three or four times um, because I really wanted to do justice to to the nuances and really get under what was what was going on there. Yeah, I think that was um, surprising for me just to see the Asbury side. I mean, uh, for those who don't know, you did it was Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and then Asbury, and Asbury Theological Seminary. And um, for those who don't know, and I might the, actually break in and and point out so that I I teach at Asbury University, which okay. unfortunately has the same name as the seminary. They're two completely different um, institutions. So the the field. I was work curious about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So Asbury, sorry, can you say that again? 
I, they're geographically close. And actually, all of this is very geographically close. Southern Seminary is within an hour and a half of Asbury Seminary. Um, and so it's it is kind of a, a geographic story in, in some ways, too, although both, both of the institutions draw um, internationally even and, and nationwide. So that's one of the reasons I, I chose these, because they're both very influential in their, in their spheres. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, that's true. That seems to be very true. So um, for those who don't know, can you talk a little bit about, you know, exactly how this went down? When did you go to the school? How long did you stay there? And then I guess both schools, really, what did you look at mainly? Mm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so I did kind of a mixture of ethnography. And so I went, visited the schools, sat through chapel services, a few classes here and there. Um, I also did semi-structured interviews with with a number of mostly students, but also some faculty and administrators at both places. and, and maybe I'll just kind of summarize the findings because they are kind of like there's kind of two stories embedded in, in what I found here. So um, Southern Baptist, Southern Seminary in Louisville, that one really represents and, and informs uh, the kind of embattled complementarianism. That's an important part of um of, I think the evangelical terrain, and of course, is an important part of the Southern Baptist tradition, which is a whole um, a whole subculture in itself. But so theologically, so what I found through through this work is that theologically, Southern emphasizes three things when it comes to gender. So the first is uh, kind of a polarized def- differentiation of masculine and feminine, right? So the construction of two very different kinds of people, um, even opposing kinds of people in some senses. Uh, they also emphasize male headship, this idea that men should be an authority over women in churches and families. Um, and then seemingly paradoxically, although they don't see it that way, um, the third emphasis is an equality in, in value. And so they have this mantra, right? Different in roles, but equal in value. And so those three things are kind of how they're constructing gender theologically. And um, I found a really strong buy-in among students with um, in, into these ideals. Um, and this was one of the things that was a little surprising to me at Southern was that it wasn't, it wasn't so much because they were buying into the systematic theologies that contained these ideologies so much um, as because of storytelling, really effective storytelling. The community has uh, effectively superimposed these gender ideals on top of the biblical narrative and and the story of the gospel. So um, if you believe the Genesis creation account, you're not only believing that God uh, created a good world and you know all the sort of basic orthodox beliefs about the gender or the Genesis creation story, you're also believing that there's a mandate for men uh, to to be kind of rugged breadwinners following Adam's example, right? So there's this whole thing. Um, and the brilliance in this is that these the actors, who are mostly young adults, you know, still in the formation process, mm-hmm. um, they're able to find meaning in their own lives out of these these gendered scripts. Um, and it's, I mean, it was really kind of kind of fun to look at. I, I sort of started out thinking I was going to look mostly at belief in theology, uh, but I ended up looking at things like food and fashion that that they're using to embody the these ideals. So one example, just to illustrate the kind of male bread winner thing is um so i mean these 
these are seminary students in a very, I mean, Louisville is a kind of a leafy suburban community. So these are not farmers. They're not, um, they're not hunting food for their families as, as the Genesis account would, would suggest, but they're very creative about this. Um, and they've kind of developed the ideal of eating meat as, as kind of a stand in for this. So I heard sermon illustrations that would sort of talk about the, you know, the glories of bacon. Um, and I have a story in the book of ordering um, at a lunch at their at their cafe, and one of the menu options was a He-Man sandwich. And I asked about it. Oh, you know, there's got to be a story there. And uh, the person behind the counter just kind of looked at me quizzically, and she said, "Well, it's just because of all the meat, as though it would be obvious that meat would go with masculinity, right?" And so this is—it's a whole embodied thing. It's all cohesive, and and it's it's a really really um, very effective strategy for them. Um, and then sim simultaneously, there's also uh, spaces set aside for for women too. Um, and so I think one of my, the other surprise at Southern was just how valuable those women's spaces were. These are for women who are not going to be pastors. They're going to be pastors' mm -hmm. wives. Um, and so I don't want to go on at, at length too much here about this, but the Seminary Wives Institute uh, turns out is a really valuable space. There's a lot of caregiving, mentoring, and nurturing uh, that I, I think is is very much what was missing at um, so Asbury then is the second story, and they did not have those kinds of spaces. Um, so this is a, this, and this one represents the Wesleyan kind of Arminian side of, of evangelicalism. So a little bit less in battle, a little more socially conscious, socially responsible, right? They're really wanting to work against um, against patriarchy in some ways, although they may not put it that way. They're working against um, you know racial inequalities, a little bit less politicized, but still very much evangelical. And so I think my surprise with with that um, and the finding there was just that a self-consciously egalitarian community that had a robust approach to to theology of gender um, could could still have such disempowering effects of the women uh, on the women in the community and also that so few of them recognized that. Um, yeah. So I guess, I mean, the overall argument of the book is is, is sort of that the differences between these two gendered cultures um, are actually a lot less than what the dichotomy between egalitarian and complementarian suggests. So I'm trying to give some language uh, to the cultural patterns that are sustaining gender inequalities in ways that we don't usually talk about. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, thank you for that. I think. What was interesting about your book is the approach because it really is very sociological instead of, you know, which I don't even know how you could not be sociologically minded and go to these places. And it might be a bit biased. And your book did not seem biased at all to me. Um, so it was it was cool to read, you know, get really the both sides of this. Um, but before we go deeper, I need to ask a little bit about um the Southern seminary stuff, because I came from the South, Georgia, deep South, and uh, I had roots in, you know, the country and hunting and fishing. I used to go fishing a lot. And then, you know, I lived in kind of suburbia, not really, but just neighborhoods near the city. And uh, I went to Southern Baptist Church and my papa was a Southern Baptist preacher and he's the one that would take me fishing. So I mean, there's just a lot of uh, a lot of things that I'm probably connecting with. But I'd love to see some of the observations. You know, you said the He-Man witch. I know there's some about the leaders and leather. So 
let's let's have a little fun. Can you talk a little bit about that for a bit? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think in in some ways. I mean, yeah, I, there's a Southern white masculinity is is one story at Southern Seminary, right? They're really, yeah. um, in some ways, adapting these biblical stories, right? And, and, and adapting them to, I mean, what I would call hegemonic masculinity um, or, or portions of it, right? And that has a, has a negative connotation, but just cultural constructions of masculinity and they're finding uh, biblical and, and theological significance in that. So, um, yeah, so I mentioned the, the eating, the sandwiches, but the use of space, um, you know, only men are on the platform in the, in the chapel, right? And there's this kind of, it's, it's a performative thing and in, in, in part, that's yeah. not the only thing that's going on, but there's a lot of performing of um, a certain kind of, um, on, on one hand, this sort of uh, rugged, kind of wild at heart, masculinity um but then there's also the kind of the the company men right is that i call them in the book that they're or they're wearing the suits like al moeller doesn't really fit the rugged like the rugged masculine stereotype um but he's more of the kind of establishment genteel you know the the mahogany furniture that that sort of a, a categorization and so and even that even the agency even the ability to choose their sort of masculine presentation is is a part of this sort of construction of masculinity that, that shows agency and and can an authority in some senses so yeah it, I mean it's it's amazing how it's it's such a cohesive package though yeah so um, yeah so what did you see uh, in some of the students with um, the theology that was pointing to a lot of this I'm, I, I'm mm -hmm. specifically thinking of you know the creation account because of how strong that was when I grew up. Like, creation was cool, but the point was, like, patriarchy. <laughs> or just male headship and things like that. So I'm interested to hear maybe some of the students' um, perspectives on that, if you remember. Yeah, I mean, for them, this this account is, is fundamental. I mean, probably in... I don't want to say that it's more important than the Christ event because they they would not see it that way. But it, when they're talking mm. about gender, when I was talking with them about gender, um, they didn't talk about Jesus very much at all. Uh, yeah. He comes in, you know, as Christ led the church, that the bride of Christ sort of metaphor comes in a little bit. Um, but Genesis three is Genesis two and three, right? The creation and fall. Um, that's where it's at. That's the the kind of nexus of of their theology, uh, because they they're so interested in the kind of ordering of of creation that God implements. Right. And so, um, I mean, there's a whole logic to it. Right? Adam is created first. Adam is the one that's told just to till the ground. Mm -hmm. um, and that, um, you know, the sort of the, the chronology matters, right? So egalitarians would say, well, the fall is what destroyed the, the mutuality and the beauty of the, 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 the partnership relationship. Um, they don't see it that way. They see the, the, the fall as a space where uh, the ordering that is supposed to work out well and this sort of um, different in roles, separate, separate sort of separate roles, but equal in value. That That's the ideal that they take from the beginning. And then the fall is what messes this up. Right. And so mm. um, it, it, any so what, what ends up happening is anytime there's a 
problem, um, whether it's abuse or um, just dissatisfa women's dissatisfaction, uh, then it's attributed to the fall, right? That the fall is why this is so hard. Um, and anytime, anytime things are working well, it goes back to like, this is the intent. This is the, the ordering that God put in place before the fall. And um, egalitarians do this too. They just re reverse the order. Um, but at Southern, especially that, especially with the students, that, that, that narrative and the details of, of the creation account and the man and the woman, the Adam and Eve are, are separate people. Uh, that's just key. That's really fundamental for them. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's so interesting, the language. And both going back to the, really what was deemed the curse, I thought. <laughs> you know, just thinking of, you know, but yeah, I, I was involved in a lot of those spaces too. And you mentioned the women's support. And I think, like, when I was growing up, that was um, pretty essential to, and my, my parents weren't pastors, um, but like even in our church, the women's groups were like, the best thing on earth like the men's group didn't like we didn't do much like we might go skeet shooting or something you know but like the woman's bible study was like loving and caring and you know i was a mama's boy as a kid so I, you know i just remember these like wow this seems so meaningful and you know the other spaces were you know just manly in a sense and i, I don't want to get too biased before but but um but yeah, what, what else did you see with uh, the women's support and those sort of things in the students' lives? Yeah. You saw early marriage too, right? <laughs> Getting married yeah. young. Yes, there are a lot of very, very young, um, young couples, both both men and women. And and part of that is kind of going back to your, your Genesis account, marriage is really upheld as, mm -hmm. you know, you almost have to be married to be legitimized. Um, and, and so that is, I mean, that is the goal for, for everyone because to be a godly man, I mean, this is all godly manhood, godly womanhood stuff, right? These are the two mm -hmm. scripts. To be a godly man means to be the head of a wife. And so how are you going to do that, right? You got to find a wife. Um, and, and womanhood, to be a godly woman, is very much, uh, you know, couched in, in terms of being a supportive wife. And, and, and the second part of that is, is being a nurturing mother. And, of course, both of those require marriage. And so marriage is, um, it's yeah. not, you know, not universal. There are some single people there. But I think that helps to understand why so many of the students are really uh, prioritizing marriage much earlier and much earlier in, in their young adult lives than in the in broader society. Um, yeah. and, and the thing with the women, too, or sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Did you no, you're a, good. You're good. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, and that, that fits in with, with the women, too, because, I mean, I, I say and I, I hold to my argument that these spaces, these women, the Seminary Wives Institute is incredibly valuable. And I am also a little bit nostalgic for the days of the, you know, mm -hmm. Wednesday night sewing circle. And um, there are parts of that world that I wouldn't want to go back to. But there is something really valuable in that. Um, but one of the kind of difficult realities for women at Southern is um, that, you know, their, their package offers agency to women. It offers a lot of empowerment to women, mm. but generally there are some exceptions, but the pattern is in, in general, you almost have to be married to a man who is in power. So, or you have to be the daughter of a man who is in power. So mm. those gifts, the gifts that complementarianism is offering women in those spaces, including, uh, the gift of the seminary wives Institute and in those spaces, um, you don't get to opt into on your own volition, right? It doesn't matter if a, a woman is really gifted in, in ways that would serve complementarianism just fine. 
if, she, if her husband is not a pastor, she's not in those spaces. Um, so that's one of the kind. That's one of the kind of ugly parts of of this that it really requires attachment to a man who has legitimacy. Yeah, reading your book, I almost didn't even think about a single person. I couldn't think about somebody that wasn't married being on the campus of Southern Seminary. <laughs> I really didn't even like contemplate that until now because of how strong that uh, marriage thing is. And I will say, it, I mean, that message, I wouldn't say made me get married, but I got married at 18. And, you know, when I got married, I realized like, oh, what is this like headship thing? Like, am I interpreting this right? Because my wife is way stronger than me. She's a leader and I'm like supposed to somehow lead in some special way. Like, so I never fully connected with it, but I will say the marriage thing, um, I still even see a lot of good to it because on the other spectrum, I've, I've seen a lot of like rejecting marriage or um, things like that. And really in my Corinthians class, we're talking a lot about um, aestheticism and celibacy and then also marriage and um, caring about the body. But before we go into outcomes too deep, we got we to gotta hit Asbury and then we can have an honest account, <laughs> bringing them together to talk about, you know, some of the outcomes. So Asbury... Um, egalitarian, what's going on gender-wise there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is the one that just threw me for so many loops because it is such a complicated picture and not um, yeah. not entirely what I expected to, to come out of them. So, um, yeah, so like I said, I think the, the biggest surprise here was that, you know, it, it is so self-consciously egalitarian, but women were really struggling. Um, and that, that was my first clue that something different was happening here as I listened to the stories of the women, the seminarians themselves. Um, you know, the men, because I did interview men too and, and um, heard their stories and they were thriving. I mean, they were um, just, you know, inhabiting the space and reveling in the, um, in the learning that was coming out of their classrooms. They were finding meaningful relationships and mentoring and they were just feeling empowered in the way that I think seminary education is, is intended across the board women were sounding very different and they were often very grateful for the egalitarianism of the seminary they were also enjoying their classes learning really well and and in some ways sounded like someone who was thriving but they also had uh just all of these insecurities and challenges that i was not hearing at all from men and i finally realized you know, there, there are these common experiences that they were having that they didn't realize were common experiences. Uh, many of them were juggling the work of seminary just along with their male peers mm -hmm. with a lot of uh, family responsibilities. So sociologically, we call this the second shift. Uh, it's all of the kind of family domestic work uh, that goes on behind the scenes that um, it's been, I mean, well-documented, even egalitarian families who mm -hmm. think they're sharing labor still, the woman is typically the one who is uh, taking the lead on things like scheduling dentist appointments and buying Christmas gifts and doing birthday parties. And um, and in Asbury too, marriage and family is a big deal. And so a lot of these people, they do have children and they prioritize them. 
um, as I should. I think that's a that's a great thing. But um, they were nobody was recognizing that women were were carrying this weight so much more than men were, mm. um, and it wasn't just their private lives either. There was a lot of institutional caregiving. Uh, the female faculty members were doing a ton of nurturing and and work um, that the male fa faculty members were not. Although I mean, again, these are these are general patterns. There are plenty of nurturing male faculty members too. But on average, there's just this um, this kind of additional set of relational responsibilities that mm -hmm. women were carrying. Um, they're also balancing their their femininity uh, because, you know, seminary ministry, especially in the evangelical tradition, is still a fairly masculine space. It's been pioneered by men. When you think of pastor, the first thing that comes into your head is, is a man. Um, and so they were having to kind of tone down their, their even their, you know, again, style, you know, makeup, hair kind of expressions of femininity. Um, but they also had to express enough traditional femininity to kind of communicate that they were a traditional woman, right? So, you know, traditional sexual sexual ideals are still very much uh, part of the picture here. And, and you know, feminine, the gender binary is still an important thing. So they had to sort of express enough femininity to be legitimate, but like not too much that would make them feel over-sexualized or flighty. Um, so there's, again, like all this whole constellation of things that the women are carrying that the men are not recognizing, actually, and nobody's recognizing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That, yeah, that is kind of surprising from, from what you'd think of, of an egalitarian mm -hmm. like space and institution and belief. And, you know, I do focus so much on theology, but, um, sometimes I forget <laughs> like what's the lived experience from these people. And cause that affects theology too. I mean, the theology of a woman in that space would most likely focus on different things. Um, maybe more, uh, I don't want to guess on what, but um, definitely would be different and valuable in different ways. Okay, so here's the fun part. Um, yeah, what are, you, what are you thinking on, you know, the SBC side um, and Asbury side on, you know, what is the, what, you know, combining, I guess, theology, especially SBC or SB, Southern Seminary, mm -hmm. um, you know, combining the theology and you know, the culture and the lived experience. Um, I guess we'll start there. What, what's the outcomes? Is it, is it going to be 50, 50? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be dangerous? Is it gonna, you know, how does it, you know, how do we think it might play out or have seen? Mm, okay. Okay. So this is, this is a question, if, if I'm understanding you correctly, uh, that I'm, you know, I've heard a lot of different versions of it. I think it's really in the air right now. Um, so I'm glad you asked, uh, and I, I'll be curious your take on this too, because as as you're as you've been talking, I, I I see threads of some of the things that I'm also kind of playing with in my own head. Um, so I think and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think part of the underlying question is whether belief, whether theological belief, has social consequences. Is that yeah. like, like part of it? Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I think, I mean, in some ways it's a simple question. It's an important one though, especially because we're looking at, especially in the Southern Baptist world, all this abuse that is coming. And it's not just the Southern Baptist, plenty of egalitarian cases too. Um, so I think, okay, so does theology have social consequences? In one sense, I think clearly yes. Um, and I think this is pretty well established and, in, and agreed upon. So for example, um, we expect white supremacist beliefs to lead to bad social outcomes. I think everyone pretty much on the same page with uh -huh. that. 
Um, similarly with like theologies that glorify violence, we worry about them because uh, we ex expect violent, brutal outcomes. And I think history would back us up on, on that sense. And yeah. even an example uh, more closely related to gender, uh, we do know that patriarchal complementarian beliefs, they may not make it more likely for a woman to suffer ab abuse in, in her home and intimate partner relationships, uh, but we know that it makes it harder for victims to escape from those relationships. So, mm. um, and that's a, that's a causal connection that's been established. And I think it's reasonable to expect similar connections um, more and more in the sense that that you're pointing to. So in, so in that sense, I think the answer is, is yes, we need to be aware of uh, what consequences might come out of these theological constructions. But I also, I find myself a little uncomfortable with the, I think the assumptions behind the question and maybe even the cause causal assumptions behind it. Because I think what it assumes partly is that theology precedes human experience or, or human practice. Um, and, and that assumes also that we have an ability to construct a, a pure theology or a right theology that is somehow removed from its context or human experience. So if we just get the theology right, if we work really hard at getting the theology right, that's the way to address these yeah. social outcomes. And I just don't think that's true. And I think Asbury's example is a really good one um, because they have a robust egalitarian theology that is just not playing out in practice. And in some ways, Southern is ex an example too, because I mean, it's an in internally coherent theology that should end in human flourishing for both men and women, if you if you listen to their logics, right? But clearly not yeah. the case. And I think, so this reminds me of, as I was thinking about this, it reminds me of when my kids were little. And I had one who, especially when he was like three or four, would come home from from preschool and make these like grand pronouncements of what what, what is going to happen. Like for a while it was, we are having ice cream for dinner. Like, I think like just expecting or hoping that, you know, enough conviction will bring this about. And, you know, of course, like, it changed nothing about the fact that we are not actually having ice cream for, for dinner. Um, but I think I felt the same way as I did listening to him when when I was at Southern and I heard this mantra, like women are different in roles, but equal in value. And I just wanted mm -hmm. to say, like, you know, just saying something does not make it true. No matter how much you believe it, no matter how much the logic makes sense to you if it's not working itself out because women are not not equal in value at Southern. I mean, demonstrably. Um, so, I mean, this is just one way of thinking about it, but I think sort of to answer your question, and I want to know what you think about this. Um, I am worried about the consequences of bad theology, but I think I find myself worrying more about theology that doesn't place itself in accountability to the realities of human experience. This is what you're saying a minute ago, right? Um, and I'm not I'm not talking about like a kind of you do you sort of individualistic theology at all. I mean, individualism is part of the problem here. Um, what I'm talking about is like accountability to disciplines like like history and the social sciences that are expressly attuned to the messy complexities of social life. And I guess I wonder if we would start there, if, if the questions and then by extension, the answers might be different. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I, it's a good point. I mean, thinking of Asbury and the expressions they had that weren't necessarily empowering women to the level of their theology. It's almost like they're here with theology, but maybe they're here with culture. But since we say the word culture, maybe it doesn't matter as much to them or, or to people or me, whatever, you know, because 
especially me, because I have the privilege of not experiencing the, you know, the level of here. Like my theology is here and I'll just empower women when I am able to, even though, you know, when am I going to be able to do that? I'm not in a place of power. So yeah, I think you're hitting on, um, some, some good points. I mean, I don't know how (laughs) to, you know, like in a place like Asbury, you know, um, empower somebody that's not here or empower an institution that's not experiencing the theology that it is. And I mean, do people know if they're experiencing their theology? You know, what kind of marker can you even see for that? Um, So, so yeah, I, I, I see that. And I think on the Southern Seminary side, you know, looking at, I don't, I don't know. I can't even like fully separate the culture from theology, even though I kind of just asked a question that tried to do that. Um, I think that's probably the point. You can't really, you can't really separate it. And I'm at an institution now that, you know, is dipping so hard into um, the culture in a sense. Um, They are very social justice minded that, you know, there's an expression of different theologies here and almost a dis uh, feels like disorder um, in a way because there is no unifying uh, theology in the sense that evangelicals grow up with, you know, like, you know, there's queer theology and there's, um, you know, within there, you know, from the jumping from evangelical to that would be, you know, homosexuality, same sex marriage, affirmation, but also different gender expressions. And so it's like the egalitarian thing might be here, um, but like the whole living out, it's like, I don't know if really many people know how to live that out because now we're dealing with a different subset of theology that's still interacting with culture that, you know, it's just like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know um, if Asbury Southern were really dealing with those sort of like cultural things, but, you know, places like this that I'm in are very involved in making the culture um, of their institution look like their theology. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they focus on the, if we, if, he, if Duke's always had white professors here, let's start hiring some diversity. Like let's make that a thing. And I, and I've seen, I've seen that here. I've seen women put uh, in power for good reason, of course, but there's gotta be intentionality there. And I, you know, I've looked at the staff at Asbury, the faculty. I mean, I know there's some great women there, but I, I, I think, um, you know, I don't know the percentage, but I've seen men and women, but, (laughs) um, yeah, I don't know. Does that, I don't know if that adds much, but yeah, I mean, it's an interesting comparison, I I think. And in part, I mean, so I mean, in some ways it's hard to be too hard on the more, so the Asbury and Southern are different from Duke because they are trying to preserve a tradition in the way that I, I don't know. But, um, but, but the, the consequence of that is that there's, you're not going to have competing theologies in the way that they probably I'm, I'm expecting you've maybe heard a little mm-hmm. bit more of. Um, and, and I think, I mean, the, the beauty in that is that they are perpetuating traditions and traditions are important. I, I think that they really are the identity that they provide, the kind of cohesive mm-hmm. memory, like collective identity and memory, uh, you know, are valuable. Um, but the downside is, you know, it's hard to have the kind of humility that comes from, I mean, you, 
almost use the word disorder with with respect to having this kind of conglomeration of, of theological mm -hmm. paradigms around you, which it can't like it can be, feel disordered right? if it's, because it's not all pointed in the same direction. But I don't know that I mean, the beauty in that is is that you you sort of have to recognize the importance or the the um, the power of your experience, right? Because there's there's a reason why black liberation theologies sound different than yeah. you know the you know reformed theology than queer theologies because different people have different experiences in the world, um, and we all we don't all see the things the same way. And so I think it it is it is less of a cohesive clear track, right? There's less certainty built in, but I'm not I'm not sure that that's all bad. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it depends on your goals, right? If your if your goal is to sustain a tradition as it has been, then that's probably not going to work. Um, so, I mean, maybe part of the the conversation is like, what is the goal of seminary education? Mm. And I think Duke would answer that differently than both Asbury and Southern would. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I definitely, um, I, yeah, I guess clarifying disorder would maybe just feeling disorder, and it's probably mainly on me because I grew up in evangelical spaces. Um, so now I'm introduced to, you know, a lot of different theologies and a lot of different living out of those theologies. And it feels disordering. But, you know, you're probably right, though. I mean, everybody here is Trinitarian and everybody, <laughs> you know, there are some core beliefs that are un unifying. And, um, yeah, I guess that, honestly, that question or what I was saying is more of a reflection of, being in spaces like Asbury and um, um, and Southern Seminary, because it very much was you believe in this thing and this one subset of, you know, overall Christian theology, maybe. And, you know, that's like what everybody believes. And um, in some ways, I guess maybe that's good. But in a lot of ways, um, it's it can be bad because if you're stuck in tradition, a lot of times you can't see anybody else's struggles. And so, yeah, I'm going to eat my words a little bit and say I do appreciate <laughs> a place, uh, you know, seminary like Duke in that way. And I actually wonder as you're talking, if you're exhibiting a, a different pattern than the men that I was looking at at Asbury, they, so I use the language of male centering. Um, and, and it's not just male centering, but it's, you know, experience centering. And what they were struggling with is they had never had their experience problematized. Um, and, and not in the sense that it was a, it's a problem, but they, they've never seen it in context. That it has always experienced these, I think, evangelical spaces, right, where um, their, their experience was the norm, right? The white male experience is the norm, just because that's, I mean, that's how things are constructed. Uh, now, women had, but the, the men really struggled with this. And this was one reason why they really had trouble um, understanding and appreciating the challenges that the women were going through. You have had your experience decentered. Um, so maybe like disordered, maybe when you're talking about disordered, I wonder how much of it is just feeling, you know, feeling that experience of, of decentering, which I think is like phenomenal formation. I think we all need our experiences to be decentered. So, but it is disorienting um, and it, it can feel disordered in, in some ways as you, as you kind of try to put that together and to, you know, recover a sense of self and where you fit um, just kind of in a, in a broader, you know, constellation of ideas and, and experiences. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. Sorry. Say it again. I said, I don't know if that resonates, but I was just wondering. 
No, it does. I mean, I also, we're talking about, you know, you hit with the goals of seminary and, um, you know, it seems like Duke is honestly hitting those pretty, pretty well. Um, you know, making me a well-rounded Christian thinking about all different sorts of things and figuring out what I believe in the midst of different beliefs, you know? Um, so I think that's good. I think I never experienced that because the evangelical spaces I was in were like, um, churches or private school. So like, the outcome of those really for them was like for you to be a better Christian, <laughs> an evangelical Christian, you know, um, in whatever cultural sense that was really playing out. Um, cause they look dif- different between schools and churches, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And I, I guess it's, I mean, I'll just be vulnerable here. Theology with friends, you know, it's, <laughs> I, uh, it, it is, um, not scary, um, it can, it can be uncomfortable in a way, um, but really it's just different and it's me experiencing difference. And so, you know, reading your book was a lot of experiencing the same thing. Like, oh, I know what this is and I know what this is. Um, so it's kind of making me do some, some reflection here. (laughs) And, uh, and so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. Um, so yeah, I I um I like that you push back on the question of uh, the Southern Seminary things, um, because I think in spaces I am in, especially egalitarian minded and focused, is um, you know we like to look at the SBC and just be like, this is why uh, it's obvious, and uh, if you would just change your theology, like we're you know, like we're God telling them to read the Bible different than what they've sought out um. So I, I, yeah, I'm glad you pushed back on that. And um, so. Well, and I mean, I should clarify, I'm not anti-theology at all. I think if, I mean, if you could see my bookshelves, you would see I probably have more theology than sociology on them. I think theology yeah. is so important. I will continue to believe that. Um, but so I think what I'm arguing for is more of just an accountability between the disciplines, because I think I think good theology really, really does matter. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that was a great conversation, and I'm very thankful that you came on. I'm thankful for your book, so everybody can check this book out, Stained Glass Ceilings. And um, I'm hoping for some more, some more work in this area to read some more of your stuff. And uh, you don't have to disclose if you're writing anything, you know, no secret books out there yet. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on, and I, uh, I think my listeners will, will be able to gain some stuff. So thank you. Thank you, Pascal. It's been great. Thank you.